Today we look at the subject, a faith that defies the fear of death. We have read Paul's wonderful words from Philippians chapter 1, where he is caught between heaven and earth, and he doesn't know which way he wants to go. He said, because of your need, I think I probably need to stay here. But if I had my druthers, he said, I'd rather go there. I suspect there are people who are caught in that dilemma from time to time. And it does reveal to us that to the believer, death is not all that bad. It's not such a horrible prospect after all. I think some of you suffer what I suffer from, and that is short-sightedness. I had my glasses off yesterday, I forgot and left them up in the bedroom, came downstairs and I was trying to see a clock just a few feet away and I could not, for the life of me, bring that thing into focus. I could not tell what time it was, and it was just a few feet away. It's amazing what these things do, brings everything into focus. And it wasn't that way until I turned 49. Then things started to go awry. Now I have to wear them night and day. Well, we have this problem of short-sightedness in the natural. But you know, a lot of folk have it in the spiritual. Now we see through a glass darkly. This natural man does not understand death. Our vision needs to be corrected. And God's Word is the glass that does this for us. It is that which we can peer into to find out what the future is like. We need a faith that defies the fear of death. Somebody wrote these words, death is only a horizon, and a horizon is nothing save the limit of our sight. I like that, and it's very true. I think that's what the writer to the Hebrew believers was suggesting in chapter 12, verse 2, when he wrote about Jesus for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Interesting verse. For the joy that was set before him. Certainly the joy wasn't the pain of the cross. It was not the pain of the crown or the pain of the nails in his hands or his feet. He was looking beyond that to what would be his experience following his departure from this life. He knew that we were eternal beings, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured what he would suffer in the flesh. And he wants us to grab that message as we move toward Holy Week and particularly Easter Sunday. I have three things in my message today I want to share with you. Number one, death is the beginning of life. Life does not die. 
when the Luna family go to the funeral home on Saturday, I want them to know that life does not die. The Curtis family on Friday discovered that life does not die. Their loved one has left this tabernacle, this tent, this body, but life did not die in a Los Angeles motel room when Dr. Curtis died of a heart attack a week ago yesterday. Life did not die in the Philippines when Christopher Luna died of a heart attack. Life cannot die. That's the teaching of this book. It goes on. Jesus, hanging between two thieves, said to the one, Today you will be with me in paradise. Life does not die. Death is the end of the primary stage of life, just like the grades in school. How exciting it was when we moved from the sixth grade to the seventh. For me, it was a total different building. It was another area of town, and it was kind of exciting. We were moving up. And how exciting after the ninth grade to move to another school on another street and complete those primary years of education. I see death as the end of the primary stage of life, its commencement. It's the beginning. It's not the ending. And we think of it as the end altogether too much. One man said to me, the day his wife died, we were so happy this morning. Now we have come to the end. I took him by the shoulders. I looked him in the eye and I said, Rudy, that is not so. It is not the end. You were together this morning. That's right. And you were happy this morning. But this is not the end. It is but the beginning. And somehow that shook him back into reality. And as we then in a few days came to the service for his beloved wife, there was a smile on his face. He had grasped the truth that death is the beginning of life. And we see those that are dear to us again. It is the end of the kind of life we know here, but the beginning of the better life. Losses and crosses disappear. Disappointments and heartaches fade away. We lay down our weaknesses, our frailties, and our sins, and life becomes perfect in that new world. Thank God for a faith that defies the fear of death. I would just remind you before moving from point one that death is the beginning of life, of this fact. This life determines the life that is to come. In a congregation this size and many more listening by radio, I must say to all this life determines the life that is to come. In its concern with the left and the right, the world has forgotten that there is an above and a below. 
I want to bring this back into perspective today. Far more important than whether you're on the left or the right, politically or mentally, we need to know where you are about the above and the beneath. Are you on your way to heaven or on your, are you on your way to hell? That's the big question. A gentleman wrote me a little note this week, and he said, Dear Pastor Cole, can you tell me, give me an honest opinion, will I burn in hell forever? That's all he wrote. Now, I have corresponded with this friend many times, but I quickly took out my pen and I wrote on that sheet, this may be the most important note you have ever written. I gave him some scripture verses and I said, the only way I can answer is this way. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will not burn in hell forever. He is, however, the only way. There are no other ways. And I seal that with a prayer that Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, would make it real to his heart. It is not complicated. It is not difficult to understand. Even a child can grasp it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the life you live here will determine the life that is to come. Somebody said our annual church business meeting was somewhat like heaven. Many we expected to see there were absent. <laughs> Good observation. Make sure, make sure Jesus ended that great sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount by saying you can build one of two kinds of houses, one on sand that is shifting and will fail, or you can build one on rock that will stand forever. And he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You see, he comes to us in this service today to ask us again, are you sure? Have you made your calling and election sure? There is an above and there is a below. And your decision in this service today may determine which way you go. May God help you to make the right choice because death is the beginning of life. Secondly, death is not loss but gain. The dead in Christ are not to be pitied. Philippians 1.21 says, To die is gain. Say it with me. To die is gain. Say it again. To die is gain. Do you believe it? And why do we fear death? 
Everything here is transient. Everything there is eternal, permanent. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 34, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. All along he has had in mind to share the wonders of eternity with us. And one day he calls us all to begin that wonderful journey. The dead are not to be pitied. Now, how can you be so sure, I can hear people say, it is not easy for some to comprehend, but I would say it's not difficult for me to explain it either. I explain it on the basis of the one to whom I have committed not only my present but my future, Jesus Christ. He is the only one that came back to tell us what happens after death, and I have chosen not to reject his testimony. He's the only one who went there and came back to say this is what it's like. What other man could say to his potential executioner, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. You see, I can be so confident because of this month of March when we gather together not only to commemorate his death, but to say with all who have ever trusted him, he is alive, and he's alive forevermore. He is not in that grave. He is in heaven, and one day he will draw us there to be forever with him. I base my decision on a winner today. <laughs> Death is not lost but gain. When he came out of that grave, he had a glorified body. Time and space no longer controlled him. He went through locked doors. He ascended into heaven without any rocket attached to his body. Drawn by the Spirit of God, he was taken up into the clouds. And he is with the Father today. I have picked a winner. I have decided to trust Jesus Christ. So whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord. Don't pity those who love Jesus and who die. They have graduated. They have moved into what we all ought to be looking forward to. What ought to make us excited to be forever with him. Now, be sure you lay up your treasure in the right place. A man was musing one evening as he sat in his easy chair when, as the legend goes, another appearance or presence came to him. The intruder offered to give the man anything that he might want. And interestingly, he asked for a copy of the New York Times dated two weeks later, two weeks in the future. You see, what he had in mind was, if I could have the New York Times two weeks in advance, I could look to the financial page and discover what the markets would be like two weeks in advance, and I could make my investment, and in two weeks, I would make a fortune. 
And so it was as he requested. He was given a copy of the New York Times two weeks into the future. How good he felt as he opened that paper, began to scan the financial page, and he had it all figured out exactly where to put his money. And in two weeks, he would be a multimillionaire. After the joy of that thought, he decided to scan other parts of the paper. When suddenly, not only did he see new developments in politics and new crimes that had committed, but his eyes accidentally fell on the obituary page. He thought he recognized the name. And he stared at it because it was his own name. He had died three days before the paper came out. And his name was in the paper that was going to make his fortune. Simple question, what good was the fortune then? He was not around to enjoy it. And I ask you, if you put all your eggs in this basket called earth, what good will it do you then? As I have said so many times, I have never seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse in my life. Never have I seen it, and I do not expect to see it. Because the minute you close your eyes in death, everybody's running for the file cabinet to get the will. And they're laying their hands on your garments, on your possessions, your jewelry, your bank accounts. They are no longer yours. They're somebody else's. So Jesus said, be sure that you lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth. He's tried to warn you of the future so you could get ready because it is in God's heart to make death gain for you, not fear. Death is not lost but gain. Then thirdly, death does not remove our influence. There is an Old Testament story I have been reading again in 2 Kings, the 13th chapter of 2 Kings. Verses 1 through 25 is the story of the prophet Elisha, a man with a godly character. Second Kings is a record of his life and of his ministry, approximately 50 years of ministry. There are the accounts of 16 marvelous miracles that happen through the ministry of Elisha. He was the chief prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the man of God in Israel. The children in 2 Kings shouted at Bethel to Elisha, Go up, thou bald head, go up! They were making fun of this prophet, reflecting the scorn the people had for what he said about Elijah going up in the chariot of fire. Why is it that young people and children don't always have a respect for the church and the man of God in the pulpit? It's because the adults are talking lightly of the man of God in the church, often in their presence. And so it was with these children. They were parents of their parents. 
Look, thou bald head, go up. Making light of this man of God because of his statement of Elijah whom he had seen go up in the chariot of fire. Finally, in 2 Kings 6.31, the king gave orders to kill Elisha. That never happened. But he did come down with a terminal disease in chapter 13. The king recognized that Elisha was going the way of all the earth, and it suddenly dawned on him what his ministry had meant to the nation. He was of more value than a whole army of chariots and horsemen. And Joash, who had been an evil king, cried and wept over the prophet's face as he lay on his bed. Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. This man is more valuable than all the chariots and all the horsemen in Israel. Oh, my father, my father, he cried. The influence of a man of God. That's what a godly character can mean to the world. And then Elisha was moved for the people of Israel, even on his deathbed. He instructed Joash to take his bow and arrow, and as the prophet placed his hands over the king's hands, Joash shot an arrow through the open window, signifying victory for Israel over Syria, their enemy. Chapter 13, verses 18 and 19. Then he was instructed to take the remaining arrows. And Elisha said to Joash, Smite the ground with these arrows. And Joash struck three times and stopped. Elisha told him he should have struck five or six times till the enemy was totally destroyed. I thought of that in terms of many of us here in church. How many times have we responded half-heartedly? Words, circumstances, habits, these have plagued us because of inappropriate action. When we had the opportunity to strike five or six times, we stopped at three. I'm wondering what spiritual power could be released on our city and on our world if this great host of believers today in this service would strike five or six times until the habits were gone, until the nicotine was broken in our body, until the alcohol demon was out of our bloodstream, until the lust demon was removed from us, until that demon of hate was out of us, and we would go home to love instead of fight. I wonder what God could do if today we would say, I only have one life and I'm going to fill it with the power of God, not with the power of my flesh. Oh, that God would do that here on this Lord's Day morning until we would serve God wholeheartedly and not half-heartedly, until we wouldn't fight with God anymore until we would say, God, take all of me. I smite the ground with all of these arrows, not just a part of them. You call me Lord, Lord, then why don't you do what I say? What are we talking about? Death does not remove your influence, friend, be it good or be it evil. Elisha tried to teach Joash 
that he could have God's victory totally if he would but do what God wanted him to do, but he stopped short. Joash died short. And how tragic it is when the man of God is around to instruct and to help him into eternal life. There is nothing in your life worth hanging on to, my friend. Eternity is waiting for a decision. How are you going to live? There's one other thing about Elisha that I want to mention before we close. That godly character was not canceled by his death in any sense of the word because when you open 2 Kings 13 and look at verses 20 and 21, something unique, unlike anything else in Scripture took place. Sometime after the prophet died and was buried, a band of Moabites were making a raid in Israel. They surprised a group of Israelites who were about to bury a man who also had died. And because of the attack of the Moabites, the Israelites quickly tossed the corpse of this man into the tomb of Elisha, the man of God. And the Bible says the moment that dead body touched the bones of Elisha, the man came back to life fully restored. I'll tell you what an influence a godly man or woman has even after death. <laughs> Can you imagine the astonishment of his relatives and friends when he walks back into town totally alive just because he had touched the bones of the man of God? What is your influence like today? When your name is sounded in public what do people think of? Do they think of a cheat, a crook, somebody who is dishonest, somebody who takes the name of the Lord in vain, somebody who can tell the dirtiest stories? Or do they think of somebody righteous, kind, gracious, loving, full of peace and assurance, with their life under control. A man who loves his wife and his children. A wife who loves her husband and respects him and serves the family as God's gift to them. Do they think of a faithful person who when they come to the funeral, they can expect the preacher to tell the truth because the life would back up whatever eulogy was given on that person. Someone asked an elderly believer what she would do in the hour of her death since Satan was so strong and might come to snatch her away. Well, she replied, when two dogs are fighting over a bone, does the bone do anything? Get that picture. The bone just sits there in the middle. 
doesn't do a thing. And she said, I know Jesus is stronger than Satan, so I have no fear. I'm just going to sit there, and I know Jesus is going to get me because he has me now. He will win any battle that Satan wants to wage over my body. I have committed to him in this life, and he will be true to me in that life. Hallelujah. Neighbor, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. With as much ease as swallowing down a pill, Christ wins the victory over death. Do you feel that confidence today? And if this were to be your day of departure, what kind of a day would it be? I want you to seriously consider that. In our nation, there is far too much playing church, far too much talk, and far too little walk. And God, by his Holy Spirit, is coming to the church, I believe, in these days to say it's time to walk your talk. It's time not only to call me Lord, but to make me Lord. Because the way we live will determine the way we die and where we spend eternity. We have a faith that defies the fear of death. It would be tragic for you to leave here without that faith, up to date, alive, vital in your life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And I ask that no one leave until we have pronounced this service over. We now deal with our spiritual need as we close this service today. God has brought you under the sound of the gospel once again. And I'm not here to ask you what you were like yesterday or 10 years ago. I want to know what is your relationship with God right now. Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ face to face today? Two members of this congregation have died within seven days of heart attacks that were not expected on trips away from home. In a crowd this size, you never know what seven days will bring. And I don't want to scare you into heaven, but I would try to put the fear of God in your heart that he gives you an opportunity to hear his word and to respond to it. And if we reject it, after that is the judgment. Come to him while he's loving you and wanting to restore you and put his spirit in your life. If you've wandered away from him, come back. He cares about you. That son in Luke 15 walked past his father, walked past his home, walked down into a pig pen. But when the going was tough and he knew there was no future, he knew where to go. 
he walked right back into the arms of the father whom he had walked past days and years before and found him there to love him and to nurture him. So before I pray, how many of you could I include in my prayer? You will raise your hand and say, Pastor Cole, before Easter, before Good Friday ever comes, before Holy Week ever begins, I want the faith of Jesus Christ to be real in my life. I'm tired of living for self. I'm tired of trying to lay up treasure down here. I want to start laying up treasure in heaven. I need spiritual resources. Would you pray for me today? I need to come to Jesus. Would you raise your hand where you sit while our heads are bowed and I am the only one looking about this room? God bless you, sir. God bless you back here, ma'am right in the middle, over here, ma'am, back there, sir, on my right, God bless you. Sir, back there in the back, and another lady nearby, and another one here, and another over here on my left, God bless you there. Up in the balcony, I'm looking up there in this moment, raise your hand, yes, ma'am, way up there, God bless you. Any others up there, lift them up now, we only have a moment, but it's a precious moment. And Jesus reaches out to you now. On the main floor, yes, another on my left. God bless you. Anyone else? I want to pray for you. The Lord said he'd hear the prayer of a righteous man. God bless you, sir. I see your hand over there, too. Thank God for you. Praise the Lord for this wonderful atmosphere. Now, Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of men, Come in mercy, come in grace, unmerited favor. Forgive us of our sins, blot out our iniquities. Help us to know that to die is gain if we have received the life of Christ in this life. Oh God, to these who have raised their hands, may there come the realization that today they pass from death unto life. Today they move from a creature of time to be a creature of eternity with their future secure because of what Christ has done. Touch them where they are, and we will thank you, God, for the forgiveness that you give us and the faith that you impart to us to live as we ought to live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together, please, reverencing God in this moment. <clears throat> Those of you who have raised your hand, I would like for you to take a second step. Our staff will be here at the front. I want you to make a public commitment of your faith and take away the material that I have prepared for you so that you can grow in the faith that you are embracing today. As we sing this great old hymn, whether you're in the balcony or on this main floor, would you walk the aisle to the front, take one of our staff by hand and say, I'm going to take Jesus as my only Savior and my Lord. And they will have the material that you need as you come forward today.
Don't hesitate. And if you need water baptism over here on this side, you can receive the material for tonight's baptismal. Take that step of obedience as well after repentance and be baptized. You come as we sing, won't you? Don't hesitate. We love you and we're here to help you. Just step right out as we sing this great hymn. Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and as thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come just as I am at preacher can do is preach the word and leave the people in your hands. May we stop playing games with you, Lord, and decide that we're going to live the Christian life. I feel compelled to pray for people bound by habit who are not exemplifying Jesus to the world. God, take the habits that are detrimental to spiritual life away from us. Deliver us. May people strike the ground enough times until the victory comes. May we find the house of God delectable and delightful. May we find the Sunday school classes desirable, the Wednesday night Bible studies and worship time, a thing of strength and necessity, the agape fellowship groups, a building up time in our lives and essential for growth. Oh God, help us to truly put ourselves into the fray and be ready to go victoriously one day into the presence of the King, leaving the influence of a godly life behind. This we ask in his holy name. Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the power.